the people of sake actually brought me into sake back in eighty this place was actually in ginza on the main drag at first it was kind of soy sauce. it was miso to the point where it actually changed my life new year's day not just sake as a beverage but all the culture and history and Welcome to a brand new episode of Sake on Air, where every other week we strive to expand the dialogue surrounding Japan's beloved and iconic beverages, sake and shochu, from right here in Japan at the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center in Tokyo. My name is Justin Potts, one of seven of your regular rotating hosts here on the show. And today, before we dive in, I'd actually like to take just a brief moment for a little bit of housekeeping. Usually at the end of the show, we kindly ask our listeners to pause for a moment and rate and review us on either Apple Podcasts or, or whatever service it is that they regularly listen to and enjoy Sake on Air. Actually, one of the very best ways to get the word out about a specific show that you enjoy and appreciate is actually to rate and review it. Even more so than sharing the show with your friends and colleagues, which we also highly encourage, actually having more reviews really helps put the show out in front of more eyes and then hopefully more ears. We absolutely love getting feedback from our listeners. And you can send us any of your thoughts anytime at questions at Sake on Air. To be perfectly honest, on a personal level for us here at the show, messages and letters from listeners are actually much more exciting and rewarding for us because it opens up direct communication with our fans and listeners. And in a perfect world, I'd love to just say, hey, send us your thoughts. However, in order to keep the show thriving, we need to gradually increase our exposure and our listener base and arguably the best way to do that is to rate and review a show sake on air aside honestly if you have any podcast that you enjoy or that you feel you have benefited from in some way please do the same for them as well podcasting is a really special and unique platform for creativity freedom of expression and diversity in the media so if at this time, you happen to find yourself with just a little bit more free time or time at home on your hands. If you'd be able to take just about three minutes to rate and review the show, we really would appreciate it, uh, much more than you can really imagine. Of course, we'd love your direct feedback as well. So if you got the time and you're so inclined, please do. Questions at sakeonair.com. So setting that aside, just one more thing before we get started. As is likely true with many of our listeners, we're spending a lot more time on our own these days which means that we're not able to gather in the same space in order to record a show together uh, for the immediate foreseeable future. We'll be taking some shows online and doing some online recordings, which we're working on uh, right this moment, but given the choice, we'd love to be able to get together to do that. Since we can, however, there is one nice little thing that's come out of that, and it's that we actually have a decent number of recordings that are still in the vaults that because for one reason or another the shows were either recorded on the road or somewhat spontaneously and because they required a bit more time and effort to edit they've just kind of spent a little bit more time sitting than we would have liked this downtime if you will is actually giving us the chance to dig through and release some of that content which you'll be getting a taste of today due to the on the road nature of some of these shows and some of the makeshift equipment we had to use the sound quality isn't necessarily quite up to par of what our usual standard would be, but the content itself is 100% sake on air. And so we really feel that it's more important that we make the content available uh, than to be concerned with audio perfection. Uh, we hope you'll agree, and we appreciate your understanding. So with that, 
This week, we bring you an interview with Mr. Tony Mitchell, sake brewer at Dojima Sake Brewery in Cambridge in the UK. Our host here, Mr. Chris Hughes, paid a visit to the brewery this past summer, where he had the chance to tour and taste alongside Tony, whose passion is really driving this exceptional brewery in so many exciting ways. Chris and Tony spent plenty of time delving into Tony's story, as well as the story of the brewery, so I won't spend too much time to expand on that here. If you want to just go ahead and kick back with one of your favorite rice-based fermented beverages and enjoy. Okay, so um, I'm here in the amazing uh, Dojima Brewery in uh, Cambridge. That's Cambridge, uh, not, not anywhere in Japan. I'm here in my, my home country, actually, in the UK. And I'm joined by the, uh, one of the brewers at uh, Dojima, uh, Tony. My name's Tony Mitchell, yeah, um, and I am uh, one of the brewers here at Dojima Sake Brewery, based at Fordham Abbey in Cambridgeshire. We were introduced to each other by um, Kiki Yanatsuki before I came to Japan in 2014, and we sort of kept in touch. And then, but didn't really, didn't really have much time to get you know you that well, because then it, you had here to, uh, to work here. So, Tony, tell us a bit about yourself and how this adventure came about, how it started for you? The very short version is that uh, my wife is Japanese. Her distant relatives own a sake brewery in Fukuoka. They, out of the blue, uh, made me a job offer um, about six and a half years ago to brew for a season. I, of course, accepted uh, against my wife's uh, uh, wishes. Fast forward six years, I now work for Nojima in, uh, in Cambridgeshire. Um, and there's lots of bits in between that and circuitous uh, kind of routes to how I got to sake, but that's the very short version. Right. Would you say we're, we're sipping uh, some of the, the sake here, which uh, so two of the sake, two of the products that uh, you produced here. So what, what year are you in now of uh, production? You're in year two, did you say? Well, the first year and the second year um, kind of blend into one. But yeah, you could say this is the second year that we're brewing. Okay. Uh, we're now in on the summer break. Um, and we'll get going again in the in the autumn. So we have yeah the, the products we're we're drinking. We have two products. Um, one is the Dojima Junmai, and another one is a, is uh, called Cambridge. Let's say actually a Kijoshu. Right. Um, and we'll age that in the bottle for three years. So these are the two. Um, what do you think? The Kijoshu is absolutely fantastic, and 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 it's not just a, one thing that I don't think I've ever had in Japan is a Nama Kijoshu. So it's like this is a Nama as well. Like on the uh, nose, you get this really lovely aroma of cut grass and chestnut and things you often you associate with uh, namazake. And then the palate itself, though, is acacia honey, and it's quite a lot of sweetness to it. Well, you, you would expect that from Kijoshi, but it's just a really interesting juxtaposition, um, kind of blending of different profiles. I think it works fantastically. It, I can just see this work. This is obviously, you, you've been serving this as maybe like a dessert wine or something, I assume? Well, it's kind of wasted. You, you, you automatically place it as a dessert wine because it's sweeter, but it's, it's wasted on dessert, really, mm. just on dessert, because it goes well with so much uh, uh, of the food that we serve here for guests. Uh, you know, roast dinners, Lancashire hot right, pot, right. cheese. It's uh, really a real all-rounder. Our umami bong, right? Yeah. The roast dinner. Yeah, um, but yeah, hearty Sunday, Hyundai roast. Yeah. Um, and it goes very well with that. Um, so we're really pleased with it. Um, it also goes brilliantly when you warm it up gently, you know. Oh, definitely, absolutely. I can see that you get a breakdown of the sugars and the amino acids and different colorations as well. This is quite a, 
I mean, Kyoshu tends to have a bit of coloration to it. But this one, they do age it though over in Japan. So, are you are you planning to age this one uh, in the future? Yeah, this will be. Um, so, we only release the stuff that's pasteurized. Right. Um, the Nama stuff is only for guests and yeah. people that come on brewery tours. The so we we have a 2018 vintage that will be released in right. 2021. This year's will be 2022, and so on and so on. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be a rolling vintage called Cambridge. Um, stored in the Cambridge cellar, which is being, uh, people listening can't see, but there's this wonderful kind of estate sprawling yeah, around we, us. We are, we are in the midst of verdure, aren't we? we? It is green outside. I mean, yeah. I've never seen, I don't see this much green in Japan. It is just so green and it's 60 acres of land basically, right? Site is 75 acres, the greenery is 60 acres. Right. Um, yeah, and the, the Cambridge cellars are going to be over there. Um, yeah. Um, and that's going to be really exciting. They're going to be finished in two, three months. There's just so many cool things going on here. So you've got the brewery, which most people might have heard about, but then you've got all these other things that you're planning around the grounds, right? So you've got a, you've got a Japanese garden coming on maybe, yeah. um, and you've got, uh, uh, you're growing your own vegetables and things out there. Yeah, so the, the Fordham Abbey estate itself is, uh, is much more than a sake brewery, you know? Yeah. Um, and the Hashimoto family that own this place, they want this to be a kind of living expo to Japan. The excellence of Japanese uh, culture and food and drink and arts yeah. and crafts and stuff like that. So you have the, the grade two listed Georgian manor house as yeah. a sort of beautiful kind of uh, center, of, center of attention over there. On this side of the uh, estate, you've got this incredible modern sake brewery. So it's, yeah. a, it's a wonderful kind of blend of these two. Yeah, very eclectic. Yeah. Japanese and, and, the, and the West kind of coming together in fantastic fashion yeah. and you're planning so many different things for the area. It's going to be like a theme park, isn't it? For, it's going to be, for, yeah. for members only, right? It's going to be kind of like a members only thing. I don't know how much you're able to say. Um, yeah, so the, we've got a, they've got a, a very um, huge ambition to make this place, as I say, a kind of a living expo to Japan, not just yeah. about uh, sake and sake culture, it's about Japanese culture. Yeah. But we're going to do a membership um, which will grant you uh, a choice of one of these bottles, yeah. your, your Dojima, your Junmai, or your Cambridge, yeah. um, and lots of different benefits. As I said, you, you mentioned the Japanese garden, which will be finished towards the end of this year. That's going to be beautifully landscaped, and yeah. there's going to be cherry blossoms there, and uh, you know Japanese maples. There's going to be a shrine to the a sake shrine. gods. This is amazing, right? Yeah. So, so maybe some of our listeners know, maybe some of them don't, but uh, there are there are two gods um, for sake, basically. There's, I think there's a few of them, aren't there? But yeah, two main ones that yeah. we refer to, and the main one is probably Matsuo, I think. And yeah. um, so um, you've got this permission to actually make um, like a subsidiary. Uh, we don't actually know what word you do this. Yeah, we can't find the right word, can we? But um, yeah. it's going to be a mini Matsuo Taisha here, which is going to be fantastic. And of course, brewers across Japan, they'll do a little uh, a prayer to Matsuo-san. You before. have a pilgrimage, basically. Yeah. Right? And, and actually, be, before you start brewing every day, yeah, you'll find little shrines dotted all over the brewery, yeah. really, for different things. Yeah. But generally, it's uh, in my case, it was in uh, the Toji's office, and we'd all gather for the morning meeting and then say, I'll right. give our respects to Matsuo-san before we end off to... Right. To start the hard work, yeah. Oh wow, it's fantastic! I want to know more about you, Tony. I want my listeners to know more about you. So, how did Tony, right? How did you get the opportunity to come over here to brew in the UK? I mean, what what did what did the owners, uh, what in kind of your background or you know what experience do you have um, that these owners have picked up on? Do you think, in particular, that uh, makes you suitable for this role? Yeah, well, I did the, the three and a half months at uh, Wakatakea okay. in uh, Fukuoka. So yeah. that's a, that was a very deep, immersive experience. That's, I, that's quite a brew to go and brew at, isn't it? it yeah. It's very kind of 
old-fashioned, right? Uh, very kind of. Yeah, I mean they're they're 320 years old this year. Yeah. yeah. So second oldest brewery in Fukuoka, I think. Yeah. Um, They've not modernised a great deal, have they? Not it's really. Kind of not still really. doing things the way they were doing. Not really, but they just they're not very well known, but they brew really really great sake. Mm. So and it was a an incredible experience to to be offered to go and work there. Um, completely out of the blue. I mean, I never had any ambition to be a brewer of any description. Yeah. But um, that kind of three and a half months living and working in that brewery, um, for me, it was like a, I had a semi-religious experience. You know, it was like a sort of, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. But my wife was very against me going into that brewery for mm. lots of different reasons. How do you persuade them? Um, I was, I was going to go anyway, but you, sometimes yeah. you have to kind of, you know, play the game. So I, I had two, two months to persuade her to let me go. I think she could see how desperately I wanted to do it. And she thought, mm. if I don't let him do this, then it's not going to bode well for the, you know, the next few years, maybe. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, secretly, I was going to do it anyway. I think if you, if you do something and it doesn't work out, then OK, that didn't work out. If you, if you don't do something, then you'll regret that for right. forever. So. Um, and for me, it was just a, such an incredible thing. I think sake breweries and, and people that brew sake, they just embody the best of Japan, I think, you know, really. Um, and at the end of the, of the, you know, the, the brewing, you've got this incredible sake, which I'd never tasted sake like that before. I'd drunk for many years what I now probably would say is fairly sort of mediocre, mm. cheap sake. But then when you have that kind of, you have really good sake that's like a, you have this epiphany. And I find that a lot with people that come on tours when as soon as they, they come with all these preconceptions about what sake is and what sake isn't, or they've had bad experience with cheap sake. As soon as you get good sake in front of people, not just on these tours, you know, people that I used to take to sake bars in Tokyo, it's like, you, wow. You worked, you, you worked for the British Embassy, right? You worked in their bar, oh, I did, yeah. yeah. So that was the after yeah. the brewery uh, in Fukuoka. I, I did three and a half years there. So yeah, I, I drank a lot of sake in, in Tokyo mm. um, and then had lots of people come on holiday and to see us and introduce them to great sake. And, and as soon as they they drink, you see their faces change. They will have to drinking this, because this, this is really, really good. This yeah, is going to convert a lot of people who haven't, who've had experience. Yeah. And like, they just think, why, you know, why haven't I been drinking this sake for, yeah. for, for years? What have I been? I had the same epiphany moment. Yeah. yeah, I came in with very, very bad experience. I think a lot of people can relate to that. I, I think I meet very few people who've had good experiences with sake the first time, you know. Yeah. Um, we all go in there with a negative impression of it and something wins us over. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I like the sake that, I, that now I would consider you know, quite mediocre. I thought it was... You, you taste change, don't yeah. you? Taste change. Sake's evolving as well. Yeah. So what you're really trying to do here, and perhaps for a lot of our listeners when they first heard that a brewery was opening up in the UK, I think a lot of people just assume that you're trying to create a place to... To, I mean, one of the problems of trying to spread sake overseas is that it's too expensive. When, by the time it arrives in the, um, the destination country, it's already the price has already gone up like twice, two or three times. Yeah. Then the other suppliers or importers, whatever, add their cost on top. Restaurant cast adds their cost on top. So theoretically, if you could actually make the sake in the destination country, in the in the country itself, then you'd be able to provide cheaper sake in the supermarkets, department stores, whatever. And I think a lot of people have this kind of, they imagine that that's probably what you're trying to do when you create a project like this. But it's not, it's not really, is it? It's more about spreading the love of sake culture and the story of sake culture. Exactly, yeah. So, um, you know, very difficult to, with all the, the costs that are involved and the huge investment, the running costs of the place, to, to try and make a bottle of sake at 
a, a level that you're going to get into supermarkets and get yeah. into the mass market. So yeah. the, the overriding kind of ambition of, the, of Doji Masaki Brewery and the Hashimoto family is to really put sake on the map globally. They want it to elevate the, you know, the status and the image of sake um, to the same level as something like champagne, yeah. fine wine, that kind yeah. of thing, Michelin star level. That's what we're trying to do with our membership. So the membership, you know, it's, it's not cheap, you know, it's, it's an expensive thing, but if you think about all the benefits you get, all of a sudden it starts to sound almost too good value, you know. So that's that side of it. But on the public side, we want to do lots of events. We want to run a, you know, a couple of annual uh, sake events where you invite lots of people. Yeah, you run sake tours, right? So you, you can come down here and what, for like 30 pounds? It's 30 quid, yeah. 30 yeah. quid, that's like $60, I guess, is it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, for that, you actually get to taste the, the sake. You get three different styles. You get a decent amount of it as well. Yeah. So no one, no one goes away short, feeling shortchanged. Yeah. You get a tour. Um, so the tours are really popular. They're yeah. really, really well received. And that's great because you, you go through the brewery. Uh, and unfortunately, in the summer, people don't get to see any kind yeah. of you know, the, the fermenting uh, mashes. Just, but yeah. we still, you know, it's great value for money. Um, they're small, kind of, you know, intimate groups. And people uh, get to come and uh, sit where we're sitting now in this wonderful visitor center. And we just, it, it becomes like a sort of very informal, uh, you know, relaxing afternoon session, drinking great sake, talking about sake culture, talking about Japan in general. And it's, um, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like work really. The, 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 the washing up afterwards is a bit like hard work, but yeah, yeah. This is a fantastic room. I mean, and I've been to sort of similar kind of setups like this in Japan. This is fantastic. And it's, you've got surrounded by here by, with Japanese culture, you've got the different kind of traditional vessels and things. Oh, and you had it, you had potters outside, right? So you've got you kind of got your own little pottery. Yeah, pottery. yeah. we've got a, um, a pottery workshop which is nearly finished. Um, inside that is a kind of traditional sort of what will be like a tea room. So that's another feature for members. I'm not particularly trying to sell the membership on this podcast, mm -hmm. but I'm just trying to talk about all the different well, elements. I'm just trying to make it clear that, because I think a lot of people were shocked when they heard that it was going to cost like, because a, a lot of media, the first thing they said was basically, they, they picked up the fact that it was going to be like a thousand pounds a bottle or something, but without any context, right? So yeah. you need to understand the context as to why the brewery is set up this way. And, you know, it's impossible to sell sake at the sort of prices that you, you, you need to sell at to actually, to actually sell on the market. Yeah. With just such a small scale, uh, volume production and it's very very small scale I mean I've seen the brewery today and everything is like you know um, maybe 10% the size of you know a brewery in Japan everything is very 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 small you have to the only way I can think of that actually making that work is to have a kind of a, a membership system to be honest with you make it quite exclusive um, and it's you know once everything's finished I mean there's lots of things still in can you know uh, to be completed but um, once it's all done and it's all signposted it's going to be extremely impressive complete really unique destination for, for people coming here so yeah very exciting to be a part of it just uh be great when it's all finished how much input have you been able to have into the 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 kind of the well the tours that you're doing and um the various different add-on features that you've been you know implementing or you're going to be implementing from now how much input are you allowed to have or you were kind of are you able to have or yeah, well, it's, um, I mean, the, the tours, I, I run those okay. exclusively. Yeah. So, and they, they evolve. I mean, the first time you do a brewery tour and it's, it's 10 people, you kind of know what you're talking about, but then you've got to gauge what the mm. questions people ask and mm. look at the, 
you know, the, the kind of the vibe amongst the group. So you do evolve, and you and your stories kind of evolve as well. And yeah. you 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 you, sign, you you feel get a feel for what people are interested in and what they. Um, what's what's the most interesting question that you've had so far that you've been asked that maybe surprised you? Or, yeah. Well, one of the recurring questions is uh, is why are you here and why did you get into it and how, you know? Because yeah. I'm I'm one of uh, you know, two professional sake brewers in the country, yeah. um, two full-time professionals, sorry. Yeah. Um, so that's a, a question. They ask about this Cambridge sake, um, because it's a kijoshu, so towards the latter stages of the brew, we use sake that we've already brewed. Mm. Yeah, so just to, to put, throw in there, so kijoshu is yeah. basically, so sake is made with uh, water, uh, so water is added into the fermentation tank in three additions normally. Uh, so Kijoshu is basically what they do is they replace uh, some of the water with sake. Yeah. So they're adding more alcohol into the fermentation and yeast is actually, uh, this might surprise you uh, if you didn't already know this, but yeast is actually has a low tolerance to alcohol. It's a poison. So if the alcohol level increases, it will weaken the yeast and actually stop its activity and then you're going to have more sugar left over and, and basically that's what a Kijoshu is, as well as being very luxurious. Well, you've got some of the flavors of the sake that you add yeah. in there. Yeah. So I think the, the actual the kanji characters for Kijoshu is literally no, nobly brewed, nobly brewed. Yeah, yeah, or pre precious brewed. So they're, they're asking if we use the Cambridge sake as part of the Cambridge sake. Like, right. you know, as a sort of, they think it's going to, you know, they have this image of it getting ever more precious right. and ever more. Right. But of course, we don't do that. We haven't done that yet. So, yeah. um, but in Japan, that's the way it works. So it's really well kind of, you know, read into. Um, that's pretty much what happens every year they use a the one from the year before, the two years before, and yeah. they kind of make it more, give it more depth yeah. as you go. But you said you're going to age it, so and you're going to obviously add that element into it as you go along. Yeah, yeah. and I'm looking forward in a few years to, you know, like uh, Kido Izumi, they do it, don't they? they line up all the, the aged yeah. sake from the 1971 to the present day, and you can see this beautiful graduation of how the, right. how the color changes. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's going to be really exciting to, to see how it, it ages. And yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, I think a lot of our listeners will probably want to know, be wondering, why on earth did you get into brewing in the first place? Like, what is it that attracted you to brewing? And what do you enjoy about brewing? Tell us, sell it to us. What is so what's the, so great about sake brewing? I mean, the, the job offers uh, that came from the owner of Wakatakea, that came out of the blue. I found out that my wife had relatives that were the sake brewery in Fukuoka. We went down to visit them. I think it was like September, so it wasn't quite brewing season. I thought, yeah, quite interesting. Came away thinking not too much. Went out for a drink with the, the owner uh, in the evening and he brought some of his sake. And as soon as I tasted that, I just thought, what on earth have I been drinking all these years that I thought was sake, you know? So then he said, why don't you come and brew sake with me, like for the season. This is, you know, starting from the kind of business end of the season. The offer came from him. Yeah, because they, they kind of start in October, November. Right. So he said, come from January till the end of the season. Um, and my wife was kind of uh, laughing and, you know, smiling and saying, that could be interesting. And then we got home and she said, you're not doing that. You know, there's no way. So, and by this time I'd had a couple of, you know, quite a few glasses of sake. So I'm like, well, why not, you know? And she said, you know, the, the money's really low, you never get any time off, it's incredibly hard work, you know. And of course, all those things are true, but um, I just loved it. I just, it just made sense to me. I mean, brutally hard work. And after that first week of work, I was, 
you know, you basically finish at five o'clock or something and you can barely make it to dinner and then you're, you're in bed, you know. Um, but it was just fantastic. I just love the, the camaraderie of it, of course. Um, and just seeing you take this humble kind of ingredient of rice, take it through all the stages, and you end up at the other end with this incredible thing called sake, you know. I mean, I've always, I'm, I'm British, I love drinking, you know, of, of any description, but there's something very special about sake for me. And also, just learning something new, you know, um, and having this kind of epiphany about what I wanted to do with, because I'd done so many different jobs up till that point, you know, a ridiculous amount of different jobs and different careers even, and I just thought, this is what I want to do. But my wife was really anti me doing it, and she made me promise before I went into the brewery to get a proper job after I'd finished the brewery. Not quite sure what the definition yeah, of proper job is, but um, yeah, so that's when I went and worked for the British Embassy in Tokyo. So we moved, we moved from Fukuoka to Tokyo, and of course, massively exciting uh, living in Tokyo. Loved it. Great job at the embassy. You know, really, okay, this is working out, but. I would go drinking with my wife at the weekend and invariably, you know, I'd order a sake, she'd order a beer or a wine. And I, after a couple of sakes, I said, you know, job at the embassy is great, but one day I'm going back. I'm going back to the brewery. I'm going to be a brewer. And she's like, no, 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 no. She'd get quite upset, you know, like, yeah. you're a civil servant now, you know, you're going to do this until you die. And yeah. so like, well, I'm just telling you, at some stage, I will go back. But, uh, you know, I did that job for three and a half years and couldn't really see an obvious way to get back to being a brewer until I met the Hashimoto family. And some of my colleagues in Osaka were actually helping them to set this brewery up. And as soon as I found out there was going to be a sake brewery in my home, home country, I thought, that's my job, no one else is doing that. Ashikodojima is based in Osaka, isn't it? Well, the, the family brewery is based outside uh, Osaka in a little town called Takatsuki. And it's actually Kotobuki Shuzo. And that's the, that's the brewery that Mr. Hashimoto was uh, born in. Um, but he was the second son, so he knew he was never going to inherit the, the brewery. Um, so he was always very much outward looking and looking new ways to brew sake and just different opportunities. And then when they changed the law in the 90s that allowed sake breweries to start brewing beer, yeah. they were the first brewery in Osaka out of uh, Kotobuki and they still right. make great craft beer. But immediately Mr. Hashimoto saw the opportunity in beer, yeah. you know, kind of against the backdrop of uh, I guess, you know, not great sake sales in the 90s. Um, so he, then he, he branched off, made a kind of sister company, if you like, Dojima, yeah. moved into the city. And Dojima itself is the, uh, the place where, the first place where a Japanese person made beer for the first time without any foreign intervention. And there's a little kind of memorial to, to that in Dojima, very near the, the office. But then he, he, he made an enormous success consulting on craft beer breweries throughout Japan and Southeast Asia. And then, strange twist in the, in the tale, ended up living in Myanmar for 13 years, you know, helping the government to brew beer or something like that. You know. um, so they do have, they have six children, so it's a right. big family. Um, one of the girls went to Cardiff University, another, another the girls went to the King's School in Ely. Yeah, sort of, um, you know, very lovely private school. Mm -hmm. So they were spending more and more time in this part of the world. Right. Um, and kind of almost half-heartedly looking for a, a location for a sake brewery, you know, right. thinking... Okay. Yeah, so it's always in the back of their mind. Yeah, but every time they came over, it was like, why isn't there a sake brewery in the UK? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know. Then as soon as they found Fordham Abbey, I think everything just... They had, they had their own epiphany, you know. Yeah. Um, 
But people always say, you know, why, why make a sake brewery in the UK? And I always say, why not? Because, you know, in the States, they have, what is it, 20-odd breweries over there or something? Yeah. They have rice, of course. It makes things a bit easier. But well, What are you doing for the rice here? So um, are you using Japanese rice that's been imported in? or you? Yeah, yeah absolutely. We work with uh, a company called Zenno, mm -hmm. uh, and we bring all our rice in from uh, Japan. We use Yamada Nishiki, yeah. and we use uh, Akita Saki Komachi. Oh. Well, why did you end up using that? Well, we found it's really good for in, as part of our uh, the, the kijoshu. We use it as the, the kakemai for okay. the, the, the main addition rice for the kijoshu. So, yeah, it's working out well so far. Uh, you know, we're, we're still in our kind of second year, so we're very, very young. Um, still half in experimental mode, you know. Um, we just want to make sure that we just keep improving year on year. And, yeah. and who knows in the future, you know, there might be different styles and... Try some things that have never been done before. Are you planning to make beer here as well? Uh, since the family has, has got these origins in beer making, are they? Absolutely, yeah. So we'd we'd love to make uh, brew beer. We'd also like to uh, distill shochu from the the kasu, okay. which is of course the byproduct of yeah. pressing sake. Go listen, go listen to our shochu 101 episode if you want to know what that's all about. Yeah. And my wife doesn't particularly like uh, nihonshu sake, which is uh, you know almost grounds for divorce in my yeah. in my. <laughs> Although, having said that, I don't have to share this lovely bottle of sake that you've, you've presented oh, yeah. me. Um, I brought along Yusei, which we, which we featured in an earlier episode, because I think it's an excellent example of a Kimoto, and you probably don't get to taste. I'm very excited. It's a long, long way until Friday night. But, um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I won't have to share this with my wife. Or she'll probably have a, a mouthful and say, mm, it's nice. Would you like a glass? No, I'm okay. But she loves shochu, see? So shochu, she's, okay. she's, really, uh, she's really looking forward to the, the shochu. But... Um, one of the questions I have, well, the first thing that, you know, when people started talking about sake being brewed overseas, the whole concept of brewing sake overseas, the first question that used to come up a lot is, can you do that with the water you, get, you have overseas? Yeah. Because generally the water in Japan is much lower mineral content than the rest of the water. In particular, we're talking about magnesium and calcium. That was, a, you know, a very big concern. And, you know, you, we actually... Uh, on this estate, there are several different areas where there are sort of natural springs or even or bordering the estate. Oh. So we knew that there's great sources of water. We had an expert kind of come in and, uh, this is before I actually arrived, um, yeah. he came in and um, spent two days here looking right. for you know, potential sources of water and picked up a couple. And we eventually went for the one outside, um, just at the front there, dug a 40 meter well. Um, the water is very, very good. So you start with great water. Yeah. It's a little bit hard. Yeah. We need to bring that hardness down. You take the iron out. Yeah. Iron's not great for sake, of course. Yeah. Um, but essentially, you start with very good water. Wow. But that was a very difficult thing, trying to you know, decide what kind of filtration system to use. Right. And I went back to you know, people in Japan, I know brewers in Japan, and they weren't actually able to give me a lot of help because it's not a problem that they encounter. So eventually, we went for a specific system. Um, we wanted one that we could, you know, tweak if we need to. Um, but I think we've been quite lucky, really, with the water. We're lucky with this beautiful setting that we have. You have. I mean, you've, you've got the perfect, perfect setting, really, for it. You really have. What have you found um, different about brewing here in the UK and brewing, like, compared to brewing in Japan? What, what are the things that really stuck out? Now, I know you work under a Japanese toji, right? Yeah, so he's been brewing for 27, 28 years, okay. and about half of that as a toji. Unfortunately, he can't come over for long periods of time. We're, okay. we're waiting for his, uh, his visa to come through. So he comes over on kind of short 
trips, troubleshooting, uh, you know, like, like supervising me. How strict is he? Can you say? Is it, how? What's he like as uh, to work under? Oh, he's great. He's really good, um, and he teaches me a lot. You know, um, you know, I could have, you know, you could have had a told you that was very protective about his his knowledge, mm. and I think there's a little bit of that. He doesn't, you know, he's he's saving some for for a few years down the road, but um, I'm getting a very intensive experience with that. So I'm yeah. hopefully able to. I won't I won't call myself a toji or a master brewer. I think when head brewer is something to aspire to. Yeah. In a few years, I think you know, you you know when you you've kind of got to that, that level, but to, to yeah. call yourself a master brewer, you know, having brewed for two years or three years in Japan, but yeah. uh, feels a little bit, you know. It's uh, the sort of industry trade where you have to be very humble, right? That's one thing that struck me by the brewers that I work with is they're kind of um, very modest, very humble, very hardworking. Um, and that really appeals to me. That sort of, that's the, the, one of the great things about the Japanese spirit, you know. Yeah. What challenges have you faced um, brewing here in the UK? Apart from, yeah, well, we've talked about the water. What are the challenges that you faced? What are the main challenges that you faced here uh, brewing in the UK? Well, one of the big challenges that we faced was um, was as a result of the the lateness of the construction work. So the the construction work on the bre- <laughs> on the brewery seemed to take ages and ages to complete. We we were hoping to start brewing in. December of 2017. So I've seen it evolve in front of my eyes, and it's you know two years ago thinking, are we ever going to get this finished? Are we ever going to be able to yeah. brew sake? So many things to worry about, the water, and you know, but to get to this level and to get this level of uh, of quality is yeah we're really really proud. A lot of hard work under the under the yeah. bridge though, and and still a lot of hard work to come. But so the the challenge with the the fact that the the brewery was so late is that we had to get started last. April, right. when most Japanese breweries are starting to wind down for the season. Yeah, the opposite, yeah. You had to brew through an entire, we, we had one of the hottest summers here in the UK last year, since 1976, did you say? That's right, yeah. Uh, I, I was in Japan, so I didn't experience it, but apparently we were getting temperatures here right to rival Tokyo or like Barcelona or, you know, some of the hottest places in the world. How do you do that? We used a lot of ice. A lot of ice, okay. Yeah, we have a, can I say the Japanese brand name, Hoshizaki? Yeah, yeah we have a yeah. uh, ice making machine. Yeah. And it almost feels like a, you know, a kurabito, a brewery worker. Yeah. It was one of the hardest working brewery workers of last year. Right. We don't have any chillers yet for tanks and we don't have any you know, controlled environment. So yeah. it was a real challenge, um, but kind of a good way to, uh, good experience for me. That's yeah, nice. to, to try and maintain that uh, quality yeah. under adverse conditions yeah. so I think the stuff that we made this winter yeah. uh, from January to April is a level above level up so and let me just say that the last year so some sake brewers came down here for a, a visit kind of gave their their comments about the sake they were all praising it right from from day one you know I haven't tasted the earlier ones but yeah like I've already said the quality this year this is really, really impressive. I mean, I really couldn't tell this apart from the sake in Japan. But um, I don't know. You know, I won't lie. I came in with a little bit of skepticism. You know, making sake outside Japan can be really done. Is it going to be the same kind of quality level, flavor profile? But the, the number one, we haven't talked much about number one, but number one is this is fantastic. It's so smooth. Yeah. It's um, a lovely clean finish to it. One thing I found with um, sake overseas is that it's very hard to create quite a this clean, clean finish that you get 
in Japan, and it, it's quite important because it's kind of you know how the sake ends. Mm. But this is so clean and lovely balance of flavors, little fruity flavors in there, and rice quite creamy. You know, it's just yeah, I couldn't I couldn't tell this apart. I don't think from. So we should say number one is the, is the uh, Dojima Junmai, Dojima Junmai, which is made with the Yamada Nishiki polished to seventy percent. Yeah. Nine oh one yeast. Nine oh one yeast. We were kind of keen to do to do justice to a good Junmai rather than start off with a, a, yeah. a Junmai Daiginjo or a, you know yeah. very highly polished. Who knows in the future we, we might um, do something using rice that's very highly polished, but uh, yeah. perhaps not one percent or perhaps not Tatinokawa level. <laughs> <laughs> But no, the, the, but it's it's got a little bit of dissolved carbon dioxide in there, a little bit fizzy. Um, not not fizzy on like fizzy fizzy, but I just get a slight tingling on the tongue afterwards. But wow, yeah, this is just so clean and so drinkable. The more it's this nice bit of umami in the end there. It's one of the overriding comments that we get is that it's smooth, easy yeah. to drink. Probably from people coming from Japan because easy to drink here isn't necessarily maybe a, a positive comment. Yeah, right. It's kind of the sort of sake that. You know, it's um, like bland or kind of, you know, but no, we don't mean that. We just mean quaffable or sessionable. And it, it is very, very, very quaffable. You know, you just keep coming back to it. And anyone who's had sake before, like you said, and had a bad experience is going to be completely won over by this, I think. I think it's one of those sakes where you, your body almost reaches out to take another sip without you even noticing because mm. it's like, wow, yeah. it's a natural thing. You just want to keep going like this. The dojima, um, Junmai goes very well with uh, fish dishes, white meats. Oh, okay. we, we entertain a lot of guests, and we um, we found we, we do a really great salmon dish with it, and it, it goes very well. Little crab starters, yeah. uh, salads was great. So it's got such great balance. I can see it pairing like across the board with all kinds of different dishes. Some mm-hmm. famous British ones that might you know might we might have struggled with up until yeah. now to pair with uh, sake from Japan definitely see some potential in there. One of my f- personal favorites is fish and chips. Yeah. yeah, fish and chips, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's got a nice bit of sweetness. Generally, I think it's on the sweeter side compared to maybe a lot of the sake that you know you drink in Japan, but only a touch. Yeah. And it's maybe just the acidity is maybe a little bit, bit low on, on that. But, but again, you know, it's just such a really, really good sake, it really is. Where do you see, um, You've been here a while now, and um, since you've come back, you know, maybe you've seen when, when you arrived, I mean, did you, what did you think about the, the UK sake industry? I mean, how much, how much do you think it had grown since you were last here? And Well, this is the first time I've been in England thinking about the sake okay, industry. Right. So, um, or, you know, living in England, I should say. Yeah. So I'm not sure about that, but all I can say is that there are lots of positive things happening. Yeah. I think, you know, last year, the, the joy of sake, uh, in London for the first time. Right. That's a great sign. Yeah. I think a lot of the um, uh, WSET courses are starting to expand in London for sake. A lot of the wine sommeliers are, are after their sake credentials. Mm-hmm. Little sake events popping up in throughout London. Yeah. Natsuki-san doing great stuff in London. I think yeah. the signs are you know, are very, very positive for um, not just the, the, the British sake mod, but Europe, Europe in general. Breweries in in London, in, in Spain, a couple, couple in Spain. I've heard now there's one in, in Italy. Couple, I think, in France. Yeah. And, um, what, what do you think, Tony, needs to happen in the industry here, uh, in UK or maybe Europe as a whole, for us to really kick things off and really you know, have everyone drinking sake? What, what needs to change? What do you think we're missing right now? Yeah, one of the things that we, 
I mean, it's all about education, I think, really. And one of the things that we're really keen on doing is expanding the tours that we do, but also uh, we want to actually teach people how to brew sake. We've done a few kind of, uh, we've had a, a kind of guinea pig students, if you like, people that, have, that, this one Japanese guy lives in London. He's been here three, four times now. So you come here and you do a little, like, almost like a little module, you know, you do three days on koji making yeah. or another couple of days on how to make a, a, a moto, you know. Mm. So that's really exciting. I think once you start teaching people how to brew, then you, you know, hopefully you will see lots of little breweries popping up or yeah. people, people brewing at home. Like there's, there's one home brewer that sends me one of his, he, he brews like Kimoto at home and he gave okay. me a little, little bottle of it. I mean, it wasn't bad. Yeah. It wasn't bad. I, I drank the whole thing. Yeah. There is actually a um, kind of like a, a website on, on, it's been around a long time. I, I forget the guy's name, but there's, like, there's a guy on there who basically gives out all sorts of tips and things on brewing. He's brew, been brewing his own sake for a long time now. Right. And I think a lot of people go there and they kind of, they, they read his website, and, yeah. you know, pick up how to, how to brew from that. It's very, very detailed, mm. very geeky and very, very detailed, but the guy clearly knows his stuff. So once people kind of learn how to do it and they, they can see that, you know, yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't really, uh, you know, the, the style of sake they make can be very, very personal, you know, it can right. be, you know, we're not expecting everyone to try and replicate what happens in Japan, you know. Yeah, make something unique. If you're going to do, you're going to go out, you know, the trouble of making sake overseas. I think the key is that you have to create something unique. I definitely feel that you've done that here and the other brewers I've visited so far or the other sake here from overseas that I've tasted so far, I really do think there's something in there unique that you can't replicate in Japan. And if that, then, you know, there's no question that it's, it's, um, it's got value, right? Yeah. Which is, you could even sell it back to Japan. I think people in Japan would be interested in trying it actually. But yeah, definitely. It sounds like you're going to be able to kind of like spearhead some kind of movement education and maybe creating other breweries in Europe and things. And, uh, wow, it's really exciting. Yeah. Um, and also, I think, you know, we need more people like uh, Natsuki-san in London, <laughs> doing some incredible things, doing pop-ups at the British Museum. I always think that the, there's, there's no problem with the product, no. with sake as a product. No. And as soon as it, you get it in front of people and they see how good it is, then naturally they're going to want to... And sometimes you have to sell it through other mediums or other, other kind of genres or other things which are already popular. It's like piggybacking, right? Like a marketing a trick. And I think that we can do that more. Definitely, um, you know, whether it's anime or manga or music or film, sticking sake in there, you know, and promoting yeah. sake through those kind of avenues mm. is a really good way of promoting sake. But this is so exciting. You'll have the full experience here. And uh, how, how can people get on these tours? So we're kind of still working a little bit on our, on our website and the booking system. Yeah. So the easiest thing is to, to send me an email, actually, okay. and I can give you the, the current date. So that's uh, Tony, T-O-N-Y, at dojimabrewery.co.uk. And I'll give you the dates, and you know, it's. Uh, I promise you a really nice experience. Great afternoon. I can promise you a very nice experience. You're gonna have a great time. Just coming to these grounds alone is is special. Well, it's been a pleasure to meet up with you. Likewise. Um, and um, you'll keep in touch, and we'll perhaps we can interview when you come to Japan. Give yeah. us an update, and. Um, if there is uh, like anyone listening who lives in the UK or in France, yeah, it's not that far, um, around the area, <laughs> um, and you know, you've, you're listening to these podcasts and you'd actually like to get a more hands-on kind of experience and really taste some amazing sake made outside Japan, I can't recommend enough the tours that Dodge is putting on or just coming to visit the grounds, yeah.
So thank you very much, Tony. Um, and let's toast to uh, the future of Dojima. Cheers. Kanpai. And that wraps it up for one more episode of Sake on Air. If you have any thoughts or feelings about this show or any of our shows, you can email us at questions at sakeonair.com or follow us at at sakeonair on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel as well where we are uploading new content here and there. So if that's a better medium for you, feel free to tune into us there as well. Sake on Air is made possible with the fantastic support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association and is broadcast every other week from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center in Tokyo. The show is a co-production between Export Japan and Potsuke Productions with audio editing and engineering by Mr. Frank Walter. Thanks again so much for tuning in this week, and we will be back in two more weeks with a brand new episode of Sake on Air. Until then, come by. <laughs>